We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse through their industry. Pulse through their industry. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. Have to be consistent. You got to keep the big picture that hey, we're changing the world. We're changing. The league presents Electric People. What's up, Electric People? We have Mike Brand on the phone. What's up, Mike Brand? What up? We actually have Mike Brand on the video call, and for how close we live together, two things are astonishing. One, we had to do this over Skype. And two, how <laughs> difficult it was to schedule. You're you're our hardest guest to book. <laughs> hey, we got it on the we got it on the book, so that's the important thing. If you can get yourself in Mike Brand's schedule, it's seven thirty in the morning. Mike is sitting in his car, giving us a time limit. in his car office, giving us mm-hmm. a time limit because he has a morning CAD. So that's the setting. <laughs> Mike also clearly hasn't shaved or trimmed his beard in a week. My life's out of control since the goat, man. I've really fallen, <laughs> fallen on hard times. <laughs> Sometimes you got to sacrifice it all. Uh, Mike, you are the number four installer in company history with 759 accounts. Although, at the end of this week, you might be number three. How's the install schedule looking? Install schedule, had one going yesterday. I don't know the rest of this week, but we got some in the pipe from the goat. Got yeah. some some of the pipe coming down, so it should be a good quarter. Well, you were three off this morning of what you thought you were, so hopefully they're flooding <laughs> in. Um, for you guys that don't know Mike Brand, Mike is a staple in not just Vivint Solar's history, but in direct sales. Uh, took a chance. Actually, it start, the story starts earlier than a lot of people know. We'll get into that. But um, as far as most of our audience at Vivint Solar, um, over, almost 800 personal installs uh, tens of thousands of managed accounts. You've run some of the biggest teams in the company. Um, when I came into Solar, Mike was one of, actually both of you guys were one of my early mentors. Uh, you two, I can't remember which interview came first, but when I started Solar, I interviewed both of you and said, how the heck do you do this? Which is pretty awesome. Mike's team, Mike was personally installing about 50 then and your team was doing over 600 installs. The glory days, Michael. I remember that interview and looking back, I realized how humble you are. Cause I think I was like 24 years old and you had like 10 years more experience than me in door to door, but I just confidently gave the interview. I actually remember the interview because I came away from it. I remember where I was actually, I came away from the interview and I, I told my wife, I'm like, Hey, I think I learned more from that interview with Tyler than he learned from me. Cause I just started asking you questions. Well, you faked it pretty well. I literally was starting out and like, man, I have to sell this right now. I have to go now. I just quit my job and I literally don't know the first thing about it. There were questions like, what do you, what do you track? Like, what do you score? You know, (laughs) how do you get past the 20 year contract? All these people are canceling. Um, Also responsible for building really two regions. Mike, you're one of the only, I believe you are the only person that's done that. And both regions geographically as far away as you can get. So, um, built up New York, multiple offices there, turned that into the Empire region, and then um, joined us in Southern California during our rapid growth phase and have been instrumental in building the Southern California region. So you got quite the rap sheet, man. It looks, it, I don't, your stats look like you know a thing or two about this business, dude. It's been a fun ride, man. Been, been blessed, had really good timing, and things have come together for sure. See, Adam, that's the kind of stuff that, that Mike says. I've been blessed and had good timing <laughs> and things have come together for sure. I know. Every time we keep talking to him, like when we ask him about how he did in the, in the rally, it's just coach speak. Like he says a lot of nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's really hard to actually get uh, an answer out of him. So I'm excited today because, Mike, we're not letting you off the hook, man. We're going to dig into this. Figure out Let's get deep, your, man. All your little secrets. So. Hey, well, let's, let's talk about the GOAT first, should we? So the GOAT yeah, is the premier one-on-one competition at Vivint Solar. So greatest sales force in the world. And uh, Mike Brand stands on top of the stack. So it's a, it's a bracket style one-on-one who can sell and close the most for the longest sustained period of time. But the thing that's cool for me, Mike, is a lot of people might look at it and say, oh, you won the GOAT. But it's a big deal. And I don't think we were kidding when you said it was kind of a dream come true for you. Why, why was winning the GOAT before you tell us how you won it? Why was it so important to you? Well, I remember my first, my first summer ever going into my first summer. So I, I sold security for three years and 
um, when I came on to Vivint Inc., it was in the preseason. I did 100 preseason accounts, which sounds impressive, but really I just went out every day for four months, um, which no one does in security. So I wasn't, I wasn't any good. I just sold for a week for however many weeks. But I remember sitting in my apartment um, watching the Madness hype videos, which the Madness was the, the one-on-one tournament for Vivint Security. And I was playing the song over and over, Lose Yourself by Eminem, and like imagining myself winning the Madness. And that was like my goal all summer. And then every, every summer after that, um, that was my goal. And I remember my first summer I went out to sell security. And this is after I've already sold for four to six months. But I went out for the summer and I had a pretty mediocre summer. I think I sold 100 during the summer. And I remember the Madness tournament kicked off and it was like the first round. And I like ran door to door for three days and (laughs) sold like three and got knocked out in the first round. Just frantically (laughs) running, like arms out to the side, lose yourself in your head. It was, it was like T it was like Tim Tebow ask. In other words, it was, it was no skill and all heart, you know, but I, I didn't have, I didn't have the tools necessary to, to make a deep run. Um, and then year two, um, I made it to the sweet 16 and then year three, I made it to the final four. Um, and then year four, I switched to Vivint Solar, which at the time in 2013, we didn't have any competitions like that. And so there's kind of a hiatus for three or four years. Um, and then I, I want to say this is the third, this is the third rally competition, right? So Brock won last year, Dave won the first one. Um, and so literally for 10 years, I've been chasing that and, and wanting to, to take it down and, and be crowned the number one rep. And it was just kind of a, a fun dream um, over the last decade. So it was cool to see it come to fruition. Well, you're an easy person to see succeed. Uh, part of the funny thing is a lot of people will talk to me like every quarter and tell me, Hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be number one or I'm going to be top five or I'm going to, you know, dethrone Mike or whatever. It, it, it's pretty common. I'll hear it once or twice a quarter. But the funny thing is, uh, I talked to you a couple times a week and I had no idea that like the, the seed, the desire to want to win was that, was that deep. I mean, the fact that you know how you finished in alarms like where you made it in the competition those years shows me one that you're deeply competitive but two uh i mean i didn't know you were going hard for this until the week i just didn't talk to you and you put up 31 accounts closed 18 of them and i was like holy crap mike's gonna win how 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 long in advance had you planned on that were you like screw it i'm winning this year i'm not gonna talk about it. i'm just gonna do it or what was the mentality yeah well i think a lot of things have to come together, right? I have three kids under six. I'm married. And so that's my number one priority. And so this year when the, the competition rolled out, I kind of looked at my calendar first before I made a decision and looked at what I had. And it was just like a clear canvas and a light bulb went off. And I was like, I, I need to, to decide. Like I need to decide right now if I want to go for this or not. And if I do... I really believe that if I went 9am to 9pm, that there was a really high likelihood that I I would win the comp as long as I had nothing in the way. And so I think once I checked my calendar, I talked to my wife and was like, Hey, I really like, this is a big deal to me. I really want to go for this. I need your support. Um, Once she gave her blessing, um, that the decision was made and there's no turning back. It's pretty awesome. It seems, it seems like, of all the successful guys that we've talked to on this podcast and just in person over the years, whenever they accomplish something really spectacular, it's, it's not by accident, right? It's very deliberate. So as you started planning and you started going through each round, um, you know, there's some really, uh, you know, there's some really good competition in the rally. I mean, in my opinion, we have the best strongest sales force in the world. And, um, you know, on any given week, someone can just go off with a massive week. So how did you just kind of keep that mentality of like, I just got to keep pushing forward. And was it more of like, I'm just going to do what I can do. It's within my control and not worry about my competition. How, you know, how often were you looking at your competitors? What sort of planning went into each round? Like what was the strategy behind it all? Yeah, I think 
right when I kicked off the competition, I just said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go 9am to 9pm. I'm going to pack my lunch and all my, all my snacks and all my drink in my car. And I'm going to give it a hundred percent. Um, so just completely, and this is kind of my whole mentality to this job is just control what you can control. If you're refreshing every two minutes, checking your competition, um, you're just wasting time. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter what someone else does because I'm going to give it a hundred percent and put up what I can put up. And then obviously with, with any competition, there's a little game gamesmanship on when you call in your welcome calls and close your accounts. And so there's a little planning on when you schedule your appointments and how you do that. Um, so, you know, towards the end of the round, you check the score, but, um, I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to if I go nine to nine and give a hundred percent, the, who, the, the person on the other side doesn't matter. It, it literally doesn't matter who I'm going up against. And I actually felt throughout the whole comp that I was just kind of going up against myself. And if I stayed disciplined and kind of true to what I said I was going to do, then it didn't, the result didn't matter. I really detached from the result at that point because I knew if I went nine to nine and I lost, then I just got beat. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't on me. In other words, you know, I did what was in my control, but, um, ended up working out. Is that, is that kind of the, I don't know. Do you think that's something you developed over the years? I mean, even your, your region is called rhythm. It, to me, that feels like hearing you say that feels like a relief. Like I think a lot of people go work with a lot of stuff in their head. But once you make that decision of, okay, here's my schedule, here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to plug in and then detach from the result. I don't know, even hearing you say it, it's like, oh, your shoulders drop and you're not so stressed out. You feel like that's something you've developed over the years. Probably didn't used to be like that. Yeah, I think, you know, after doing this 10 years, you have to develop a mindset where you can stay even keel through, through the ups and downs. You know, I specifically remember um, two weeks this last year. Um, actually it's probably last fall where I, each week I sold 10 accounts. The first week I went O for 10, literally zero for 10 on welcome calls. And then the very next week I went 10 for 10 and it's like, it, it all averages out, you know? Um, but I think so many guys get caught up in the day to day, week to week, month to month. Um, and they really just, you know, it's the solar coaster where they swing way up and they swing way down. But if you develop a mindset of just controlling what you can control, which is your attitude, your work ethic, um, then you don't, you don't have those highs and those lows. And it's easier to stay consistent over time, which is, it, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm the best salesperson or the most talented, but I feel like I've been one of the most consistent people over the last seven years in solar. And I take pride in being consistent doing it quarter after quarter, no matter what pops up, you know, I'll have bigger quarters, um, than others. Um, and sometimes I'll, I'll have a, a down quarter for me, but a down quarter is still 21 plus installs. Um, and just being staying consistent, you know, take pride in being consistent. Hey, I remember that. I remember those two weeks where you didn't close accounts. <laughs> I was, I was running thin on advice, but I remember Mike's so funny because it's not like, Hey, I'm having a hard week. He's like, I'm the worst salesman ever. <laughs> and then, and then the next week he's like, never mind, I'm the best again. <laughs> well, that's a, I want to ask you about this. So a lot of the greats that we talked to, like they've had some, I think the perception from especially our newer reps is that guys like you just never have these down weeks like they do. They don't have these big emotional swings like they do. And we know that that's not true. And um, you have those big emotional swings. How maybe start with one of the worst slumps that you can think of and how did you pull yourself out of that? And then how do you avoid those slumps? Yeah, I think, good question. So the, the 0 for 10 week comes to mind. And then also um, a few quarters ago, I had a week or a month, three, three weeks, three or four weeks where I closed like one account a week and they all canceled. So it was like three weeks in a row that I hadn't made money selling. Um, and no matter how long you've been in the industry or how strong your mindset is, when you have three weeks in a row where you've made zero dollars, you know, that can wear on you. 
Well, you start to doubt kept, everything, don't you? I mean, you really right. do. No, yeah, and, and that's no matter who you are, right? And then at the end of the day, though, it's you just have to keep doing what you do. Like you can look at your body of work. I think that's what's so hard for new guys. They don't have a body of work to look at and say, okay, well, this has worked in the past. So if they start off with some negative variants and have some welcome calls canceled, it's like they really start to question. Um, I guess what I do is I look at my body of work and just say, Hey, it's, it's worked. You know, what can I do differently? Try to ask myself the right questions. Am I doing anything differently? Can I change anything? Um, and at the end of the day, it's just working through it. It's like, how do you get through a slump in baseball? You don't stop hitting. How does Seth, how does, how does Seth Curry, um, Steph Curry get through, not, not Seth, Seth's horrible, but how does, how does Steph, Steph, Steph Curry is like his lame cousin? Yeah. <laughs> Seth, Seth is still pretty good. But yeah. Is actually a Seth Curry? That's, I mean, that Seth dude is forever Curry. in a shadow. Oh, poor guy, man. <laughs> uh, but Steph Curry, it's like he goes 0 for 10 in a game. He's done that before, and he just keeps shooting. It's like you, you just have to have a deep belief, um, knowing that you can accomplish what you set out to accomplish and do what you set out to do, and then just continue to do that thing, and it'll turn around. You know, there's there's variance. There's, there's such short-term variance in this job where it's like three weeks, I probably only sold 20 accounts, you know, in three weeks that's not a high number. Like there can be massive short-term variance and massive swings when you're talking about a sample size of 20 accounts. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so it's, it may have been no fault of my own. Um, and so anyways, I just try to stay dialed and keep working through it. And again, just focus on the hours that I'm putting in and my attitude and, and my work ethic. Those two things, are literally the way you get out of a slump. I even wrote them down. Um, I remember when I was a kid, uh, my first car was a Mazda B2200 pickup truck. It was an 86. I lowered it. I slammed the thing. You know? <laughs> Dude, it was actually the Williams brother's truck. Yeah. My older brother drove it. I drove it, my younger brother. And I put these new taillights on it because I had to roll hard. And it was funny because my fuses kept blowing. So I'd be like driving. And then all of a sudden, like every light in my truck would just go out when I was on like wooded <laughs> roads. And I, I took it somewhere to get fixed. And that, what you said, Mike was literally the thing they said, they're like, well, cars don't just fail. So what was the last thing you changed? And I was like, man, I, I haven't really changed anything electrical. And then I was like, the lights pulled the lights and everything started working. So what you said was remember what changed or look at what has changed. Is there anything I've changed? And then the second thing is, remember what worked. I think it's really hard when you're in a slump to think back to what worked. But often if you can, if you can think back on a time where you had success and really delve into the conversations in the neighborhood, you can reignite some of those feelings. You can almost spark those like success, like pheromones and start breathing them in again. Right. That's great. That's really good. That. So Mike, I think you're famously competitive and it goes back, um, you know, when we met, seven years ago when you were working in Jersey and Long Island. Um, you were one of the most fun guys to compete against, uh, especially when I was managing and selling full time. And, um, you know, I think you're one of the most fun guys to try and beat. And <laughs> I don't know, I don't know if it's, it's not because you're not well liked because everybody likes Mike Grant, but there's unless they're competing you, against him. Yeah. There's something that you do though. And I want to actually find out if it's, you believe it's just kind of in your personality or if it's by design as a way to kind of motivate yourself. And, you know, I mean, I would get texts from you on a Saturday morning, you know, calling me out, bet me a hundred bucks or just whatever. And do you feel like that's, you know, that competitive nature you have, I think is really contagious and it gets everybody fired up around you, which is, I think a large part of your success, but is that something that is just in your by nature or is it by design and you know, is it a way to get yourself motivated? Like what's, what creates this competitive monster that you uh, sort of have a reputation for? Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. I haven't, I hadn't thought about this for a long time, but hearing you explain that it, it what it made me feel was urgency. Like in other words, I've been, I, I'm not owed anything. I'm owed nothing. 
I have no college education. Um, I came into this job as a 22 year old. And when I, um, 21, 22, when I started this job, this is all that I had. In other words, I don't have a backup plan. I don't have a law degree where I'm like, if this doesn't work out, like I can go be a lawyer. I have no backup plan. And so when I came into this industry and started selling security, it was kind of all or nothing. And to do that, I just set my sights high. I'm like, I, if I'm going to do this, I want to be the very best at it. And not to say that I am the best or was the best, but, but my mentality was that's what I want to shoot for. And so I think my competitiveness comes from a, a little bit of urgency knowing that I'm replaceable. Even, even now, if I, if I just stop working for two quarters and don't produce and my office goes to a hundred installs or 50 installs and I stop selling because I, I've hit this pinnacle or whatever, I'm replaceable hundred percent. And so every day that I go out and every week and every month and every quarter, I feel like I have to earn my spot. Um, in door to door, you've, you've already been compensated. You've already been compensated a hundred percent for the value that you've brought. In other words, you're not, you're not owed anything going forward. You've been compensated for that value already. Your installs, your office installs, your region installs. And so going forward, you always have to, to kind of re-earn your spot every day, every week, every month, every quarter. And so it's, I don't think the competitiveness is like by design, like I, it's not like thought through, but if you kind of compare yourself to, to people around you, <clears throat> whether it's in your same management spot or your region. And if you're beating everyone, you're irreplaceable. If you're beating everyone, you, you cannot be replaced. And so I, I understand what this opportunity is for me. I'll never have a financial opportunity like this in my life again. This is the greatest opportunity of all time for me personally. I don't, I don't have a backup plan. And so I, I just, I'm not going to take it for granted. You know, I'm going to go out every day and, and earn that spot. That's uh, it's funny as you say that, because um, you know, it, it a lot of times people will say, well, doesn't that make you mad? Doesn't that make you frustrated? You should go. And I often feel the same way. I'm like, man, with, with the opportunity that we have, I'm just trying not to screw it up. I'm trying not to right. piss anyone off. Cause if I get fired, replacing this is going to be impossible if they won't have me anymore. Um, along those lines, Mike, uh, I was going to talk about this a little bit later, but that's advice you actually, I overheard you share once with uh, Trey Providence, who's one of my favorite dudes. I think he's one of our best up and comers. Um, but I don't know if it's something you do with all of your high potential leaders, but I'm talking about the advice you gave him when he started to have success. When you said, Hey, heads up, this is what's going to start happening. Um, yep. could you maybe share that? Do you know what I'm referring to? Yeah, I think there's a few things. There's, there's only, you know, I've been in the industry 10 years now and, and part of my gratitude comes and the urgency comes from people who I've seen have massive success and then fall off the map or fall out of um, profitability. Like in other words, they, they leave the company and they, they kind of blow it in one way or another. And so there's only a few things that I've seen that, that can cause that. Like once you're good enough to sell 21, 25 installs a quarter, there's only a few things that can derail you. Um, one of them's complacency. Um, it's really easy when you start making the best money you've ever made to, to feel complacent. And when you feel complacent, you forget how hard it was to get to where you were. In other words, you forget the work that it takes every day to, to get to where you were or where you are. And so that, that's a, that's a killer. Um, the second thing is pride and entitlement. And I've seen this a lot over the years where guys start having success and they just feel like they're owed something like I'm owed that promotion or I'm owed that spot. Um, and when you start feeling that way, like you're entitled to things, um, things start going south. You know, it's really easy to get caught up in that. And then all your effort, focus, and energy is, is in the wrong direction instead of focusing on how you can be more and more productive. 
Um, so it's pride and entitlement, it's complacency. And then the third one is distraction. Um, and this used to be more prevalent when we didn't pay everything up front, um, like we do now. Um, but a good example is on the, on the West coast, we had a dealer problem two years ago where, because the dealers were paying everything up front, it was really easy for guys to get distracted by that. And sometimes they'd waste three, four months in limbo deciding if they're going to stay or if they're going to go and they end up going and then moving to a different state then coming back. And it's like, those are, those are just distractions. I've, I decided to be at Vivint Solar after my first summer, I got, I, I got recruited by AMP, um, good old Billy Spears. Billy. And I sat down, <laughs> I sat down with Ryan past. Lee. Yep. Sat down with Ryan Lee and, and they made me an offer to come over to AMP. And I was just like, this is so ridiculous. You know, why would I leave Vivint? You know, there, this is, this is a rocket ship. And so since that, after that first summer, um, when I decided to stay with Vivint going into my second summer, um, I've never been distracted or sat down with another company or talked to another company. Um, and that, you know, distraction includes running your own business or running like some side business or inventing something or trying to sell stuff on Amazon. I mean, there's a hundred things guys get distracted by. Um, what I would say is if you're spending any time outside of selling personally and building a team, um, you're wasting your time. I mean, this is the best financial opportunity of our lives. Um, so anyways, complacency, distraction, and then pride and entitlement, um, are the three killers of success. And then, um, the advice I always give guys who are up and coming and starting to make the most money they've ever made is continue to live small. The thing I'm actually most proud of in my career is that Trey Providence still drives the same car he drove three years ago when I met him and he was making, you know, pennies compared to what he's making now. And so he's really taken that advice to heart. Um, and he's lived small and he's saved a ton of his money. Um, and that's like the thing I'm most proud of because anybody, you know, you can go make money, but you can also spend as much as you make. Um, so if you're not smart with your money, you know, what's it all worth? Um, so can, you know, continue to live small and make smart choices because once you start living bigger, it's hard to go back. That's great advice, man. It, It really, that's the key. That's the key to keeping climbing. Um, warning when the new electric Porsche comes out, I think you might lose that stat of Trey. (laughs) <laughs> hey at some point you have to concede you know but three three years and he's gonna make a million dollars this year and still has the same car i'm proud of that man well there's something that we've been working on um out in new england for the past couple of years is i've been the leadership we've all kind of banded together and said let's kind of change the mindset of our new younger guys in what we de- like define as what's a cool purchase or whatever. So now we've shifted this culture to where we have a lot of our guys that are starting to make money. They're buying investment properties and like multifamilies or single family investment properties. And every time they do it, that's what we're like posting on the group chats. And when guys buy a new car, we're not even posting it on the group chats anymore. I love so that. We're, we're just trying to shift the mindset so that in a couple of years from now, um, all of our people that are starting to make this crazy money have a lot to show for it. Right. So, but I think that's really cool. What you've, uh, what you've helped influence Trey. Mike, true or false. You married your summer sales manager. <laughs> hey, it's true. It's true. It's everybody. <laughs> it's true. She was, I, had, I had three, I had three managers and she was the best kissing manager for sure. <laughs> I wasn't even close. Mike brand, the story so deepens awesome. the greatest sale you've ever done happened far before you were able to understand it's import. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew I needed to marry way up. You know, that, that was the truth. I knew I needed to marry someone that was way, way smarter than me and, um, way more mature and someone that could lift me up in every way. And somehow I ran into that. Tell the story about how you met her. It's a, it's a door to door. It's a door to door, uh, piece of history that I think a lot of people don't know. Door to door folklore. Um, 
So yeah, my, my first summer going out, I sold security in Sacramento half the summer and then Reno half the summer. And, um, one of my managers was, was Tammy Badger at the time. And, um, anyways, I, I actually going into the summer was dating someone seriously. I was actually living with a girl, um, and it just didn't work out. Um, but once I broke up with her about halfway through the summer, um, Tammy and I started dating. And then at the end of summer, we thought it was just kind of a summer thing. So Tammy's eight years older than me. And at the time she's LDS and I was kind of an idiot, honestly. So I just, I drank all the time and, you know, had a, had a foul mouth and just was, was kind of an idiot as 21, year, 21 years old, you know? And at the end of summer, we thought we were breaking up. And so she moved back to Utah. I moved back to, um, Sacramento. And when I left, I was just like, man, she's awesome. Like I need to, I need to change some things. I need to like, that's the kind of girl that I want to be with. And so I, I called her and I asked her if I could come visit and I came and, and visited Utah for a few days and just spent, you know, 16 hours a day with her for three or four days and, um, couldn't get enough. And she felt the same way. And so, um, she, I, I, I attribute all of my success in life to Tammy. She, she's everything. She's awesome. And she's just such a good example. So when it, we, I moved to Utah and we started dating for, you know, dating seriously and exclusively for probably four to six months. And then, um, when it got serious, um, I think, I think she thought she was breaking up with me and she was like, Hey, you know, you know, I, I, you're talking about marriage, but I, I would, I don't want to marry someone that drinks and I, you know, I want to pay tithing, but I want to be a stay at home mom basically saying, Hey, you know, I want you, I want you to pay 10% of what you make, even though you're not part of the church. (laughs) Um, and then she was like, I want to take my kids to church every Sunday and I don't want to go to church alone. And I remember where we were, I was, I was, we were in a car in her Altima, um, having this conversation and she, she went over those three or four things. And I, again, I think she thought she was breaking up with me and I was like, yeah, like, sounds great. Like I'll quit. I don't want to drink. I think drinking stupid, um, 10% to charity. That sounds fine. Like I believe in charity and you know, I was raised non-nominational. And so we have a lot of the same beliefs and I, I would love to take my kids to church every Sunday. And she, I think she was kind of, she was kind of shocked, <laughs> um, but that, that was a big turning point for me. I, I think, you know, if there's a takeaway from that, I think it's surround yourself with people that are better than you surround yourself with people that lift you up and make good choices because you become the three to five people that you associate most closely with. And so that's, that's one of the things I'm most grateful for, for this job. You know, I met my wife, um, but even coming over to Vivint Solar in 2012, it's like, who did I work closely with? It was Chance Allred and Jeremy Long, um, and Adam and Mark and some of these guys. And I think it's, I think it's important who you surround yourself with and they're either going to bring you down or make you better. Mike, so you bring up a couple good points with that, but one thing that I take from that is also to be someone that people want to be around and want to hitch their wagon to. And clearly you were lucky enough to find Tammy and then, you know, you've been surrounded by great leadership here, but you're also a part of that. And uh, a lot of your guys now are viewing you the same way that you viewed Chance and Jeremy and those guys in the early days. So what advice do you have to our district managers right now and the stewardship that they have, uh, you know, with their sales reps and um, kind of taking on that mantle of becoming someone that people are going to want to hitch their wagon to and be that, you know, quote unquote, three to five people that you spend most time with. Right. Well, I, I won't give specific advice on how to live, but what I will say is this, you're, you're a mentor and you're a role model in a, in a DM position specifically, whether you want to be or not. And so I think of like some NBA players and some sports stars that um, aren't great role models. And what I've heard and the thought that comes to mind is, is these, these famous athletes that are like, I don't want to be a role model. 
And it, it's like, hey, bud, too, it's too late. You're, you're in that position. And so whether you want to be or not, you are a role model and you will influence guys either for the better or for the worse. And so I think if you, number one, recognize that, um, just naturally, you're going to align yourself with things and people and you're, you're going to become the person that um, influences people for the better if you understand that that's a stewardship that you have whether you like it or not. Um, and then as far as, I mean, just as far as advice for any DM, just realize that everyone's replaceable and be grateful that you're in the position you're in with the best door-to-door solar company in the world. And don't take that for granted, you know, earn your spot every day. Um, you know, Anthony Castillo is one of my leaders and I, I gave him a shout out yesterday because he was on the doors posting ACs at 9.30 a.m. He took a guy out all day and trained him. And then he posted his last welcome call at like 8 p.m. And he set up two interviews for Tuesday. Um, he's one of our squad leaders and to, to grow his squad. I'm like, that's real leadership, right? He, he doesn't talk a lot. He's, he's not really boisterous. He's not, he's not like over the top um, because he's just too busy actually doing it. So my advice would be, Align yourself with the people and the, the things that you want to become and do and um, be less talk and more action. Like go do it and earn your spot every day. The, uh, the interesting thing that I get to work with Mike closely and the funny thing is, you know, hearing this, it almost feels like right, you've, you've, you're so far developed. You, you, you're so successful at this job and it's pretty apparent why. Um, but the side that I get to see is how one of your superpowers is you correct so quickly. It's not that you, it's not that you don't make mistakes. It's that you are the fastest corrector I've ever seen. Funny, funny story. Hope you don't mind me sharing this, but Mike gets a little fiery, deeply competitive, right? It's, <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse, but we'll be on a thread where, you know, with four or five, six other leaders and Mike's competitive side will, will come out and he'll, fire off and pop off at a bunch of people. I think you remember the one specifically that I'm talking about, Mike, but it's yeah, funny because it's that, like, it's like, I call, I call that, uh, like 17 year old Adam, like every now and again, 17 <laughs> year old Adam, like rears his ugly head. And so I think Mike has a little bit of that as well, where all of a sudden 17 year old Mike shows up. 17 year old Adam will walk into a room and ruin a relationship real quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, uh, you know, he fires in all directions and leaves the chat. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's like, okay, well, technically I'm the most senior on the chat, so I'll call Mike. And literally by the time he answers the phone, he's like, that was so stupid. I'm so sorry. Add me back in. And so you'll add him back in. <laughs> yeah, I add Mike back into the thread. He's like, hey, everybody, you're my best friends. I'm really sorry for how I behaved. It won't happen again. And it almost looks disingenuous because it happens so fast. But then it's like Mike can bury a hatchet faster than anybody. I mean, that whole cycle for most people takes six months for Mike. It takes about 45 seconds to be like, Oh, that was stupid. I'm an idiot. Put me back in. And you can laugh about it like five minutes later, but you do that professionally too, Mike. Like we've had conversations where it's like, Oh, my team is slipping. All oh, my personal accounts are slipping. And then by the next conversation, the course is corrected. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Mike, is that something you consciously do? It's a hell of a lot of fun to be around. I'll tell you that much. So that that's interesting. I, I, I've thought about that a little bit. I'll tell you guys a quick story. In New York, um, my brother-in-law and I and our whole family were, were playing Settlers of Catan. And we decided to play a speed round where, and you know, Settlers, you have to like place your pieces at the beginning of the, the, the game. And that's the most important part, obviously. Like if you get the wrong spot, okay, at the beginning of the game, you play for two hours knowing you have a 0% chance of losing. Like if you pick the wrong spot, if you played settlers, you know what I'm talking about. So we decided to do a speed round and it's my turn to go. And we didn't really make, you know, really good specifications on what speed was. And so my brother-in-law's wife started saying, go, 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 go. And I'm, I'm, we're really close, you know? And so I just turned to her and I'm like, shut up. <laughs> and my, my brother-in-law flips the board, obviously. <laughs> Epic. The and we get, into a we get into a shouting match, you know? I go in the other room 
and and 30 seconds later i walk in and i look at him and i smile and we start laughing it literally was like 30 to 60 seconds later and we start laughing and like hug and like pick up the pieces you know um but i think i think that's an important skill to have in life one of the things I hate most is having resentment or holding on to anything. I, I just hate it. I hate that feeling and I want to get rid of it as soon as possible. And it can work against me. My, my wife, um, she's not as fast at that. I think most people aren't as fast at like, like working through things. Um, but I, I think the way that it applies to business is like mistake response, right? My basketball coach, not to jump around, but my high school basketball coach talks about mistake response. Like how fast do you recover when you make a mistake on the court? Like, are you sulking and like taking three steps instead of running back on defense um, and like throwing your hands up in the air that you got fouled? Or are you like hustling back right away and forgetting that you just turned the ball over and like go and make a steal on the other end? And so I think that's where I learned that concept from, from good old Dave Milhall and Ponderosa High. Um, and, and mistake response. And so in business, whenever I see an error or I make an error, I just want to apologize if, if I was on the wrong and, and move on as quickly as possible so that I can start focusing on like re, rebuilding or refocusing and, and, and going in the right direction again. I, I hate holding on to things. I don't hold any grudges at all. Like I don't have one person in my life I hold a grudge against um, just because it's life's too short, man. Well, that's the, that's when you run our boot camp. So you train all the new refs that come into Southern California and that's, that's in line with your two pieces of advice, right? Well, three, I guess work the hours, have a good attitude and learn from your mistakes. Faster yep. you can learn from your mistakes the it becomes an education rather than a failure, right? That's right. Speaking of learning from your mistakes, you and Adam here have some unfinished business. I get to hang out with you guys a lot. And it's funny that if ever we're at like a retreat or something, I'm usually sitting in a hot tub after a long day of like work. And then I'll hear just like violent splashing in the pool. And you guys are for some reason in like a, like a swimming race to see who can get to like the buoy or the pole the fastest. <laughs> but uh, the running race of what, three years ago, I believe there was oh a bet. Gosh. Oh, come yeah, on. You knew it was going to come up. up. Stupid, dude. <laughs> For our fans, there was a bet made that... Yeah, I wasn't uh, going to bring it up. I wasn't going to bring this up, and I did not tell Ty to bring it up either, Mike, just for the record. We started this interview at 7.30 in the morning, and Adam and I did not talk before. But uh, I believe the race was I could run a half marathon faster than you. There was a lot of talk that that's not possible, and then there was a not a ruptured Achilles, but maybe a little like strained one. I just don't know if we're going to see a rematch or what happened with that. Yeah, for sure. There's not going to be a rematch because <laughs> I realize I literally well, hate no running. Well, there's no match, right? I, I hate running and it's the worst thing for your body for sure. It's, it's actually unhealthy. I believe that. I truly believe that. Well, it started. The bet was yes. Go ahead, Adam. This, it started because we were in, uh, were we in Thailand? Is that where yeah. it was? We were in Thailand and we were just sitting there in the ocean, just kind of chilling. And there was probably 30, 40 people all just kind of hanging out. And I think it was Paul kind of like egged us on a little bit because Mike had moved out to California. And so Mike and I had always kind of had a famous rivalry when he was in Long Island and that sort of died a little bit when he moved out West. And Paul was like, man, I feel like it's time for a good old fashioned, like Mike and Adam you know some sort of bet or something and then mike had the idea to come up with something that neither one of us were currently good at or doing and to you know kind of set some time limits and whatever so neither one of us are runners but mike is you know i don't know how tall you are but weigh probably 170 180 pounds or whatever and i weigh 240 and um so we kind of haggled out the bet, you know, Mike gave me some odds and he gave me some extra time and things like that. And then, and then, uh, and then I, I was, I'm very cheap. So I was like, well, you know, what are we, what are we trying to bet here? And I'm like, what, like 500 bucks. And Mike's like $500. <laughs> and he's like two grand. And I'm like, two grand. 
And luckily my wife was like over on the beach. So she couldn't hear like any of this was going on. I'm like, no, I'm not betting you $2,000. I'm like, it's, you know, I literally haven't run since I was 23 years old and I'm in my late thirties. So, um, so anyway, I keep getting badgered in this bet. And Mike of course does this thing where he just starts making fun of you and like calling you out. Like, just pushing the buttons so finally i'm just like oh i'm like fine all right let's do it and immediately mike's like mags he's like adam (laughs) just bet me two grand he could beat me in a half marathon and she's like what and then Anyway, so Mike, you can tell you can tell the rest of the story. Yeah, and and the term the terms of the bet, to be fair, was that you had was it six months or a year that you had? So the bet was it was like May when we made the bet, and the bet was that Mike had to run his marathon, his half, by the end of August. Right. He had I think five months or something, four or five months, and then I had one year from the time <laughs> Mike posted What's his bad time. bet. A year. You listen, you (laughs) scammed me, dude. A year. (laughs) So listen, full year to beat Mike's time. But here's the best part: we start training, right? And I'm in like I'm terrified. So I'm doing all this research. I like hired a coach, like everything. I mean, I I invested fifteen hundred dollars in running shoes. I mean, just all this other. stuff and uh mike would just go out and run like one mile and he'd just sprint a mile and he'd run like a 645 mile and he would send me a screenshot and then he'd be like he'd be like man i forgot how much i love running this is so fun and i'm like oh my god so it didn't end well for me I, i will say this by let's see may june july yeah by by mid July, I was running six seven mile clips at like a s- sub eight minutes, you know, so like seven thirty seven forty five for six seven miles, and I was feeling good. And I think my cockiness got to me, and I ran like a six or seven miler two days in a row, and I just felt a twinge in my right Achilles, like bad, to the point where for six to nine months after it was like it hurt to walk, you know, you can't really lay up. I didn't tear it, but I I tweaked it bad for sure. And so Adam let me buy out for a thousand bucks, I think, but it's kind of an anticlimactic end of the story. I I actually still believe I can run a faster half marathon than you. I actually know I can. It it was just unfortunate injury. You know, I don't think it's, I don't think the story has it. What did you run? What was the fastest time you ran in that? You ran a couple halves, right? Yeah. I mean, I trained, I trained, uh, I mean, I had, I was on like a full program, anything, uh, everything. I mean, I trained like crazy and still my best time, I think was around one forty-five, like an hour and 40. It, it was about an eight minute, ten. it was like an eight minute 10 second average for a half marathon so i love that adam changed his whole life it's like ricky bobby i lived my whole life by that (laughs) i stopped working out like i literally stopped lifting weights i stopped i stopped doing i I literally changed my entire life to (laughs) do this because i knew how much the odds were stacked against me and i'm like i'm not gonna beat him unless i completely change everything i'm doing (laughs) i wonder i wonder if i ran a 730 average if you could have beat it i don't know if you could have Probably not. We'll never I know. Doubt it. Mike, is it harder to sell now than it used to be? Uh, if that's what you decide, yeah. I mean, whether you think you can or you can't, it, you're right for sure. Um, so it's a hundred percent your mindset. Um, it's it's just as hard, if not easier, to sell now than it than it was back in 2013. There, there's just different objections and different situations and you, you might have to be a little bit sharper, but at the end of the day, it, it's just about time. It's about time on doors, giving yourself enough time and then learning your market, whatever market you're in, um, even down to what city you're in. Like in San Diego, there's six or seven different big cities in North County that I've knocked 
And every single one of them had different challenges that I had to adapt to. And so I think you have to be adaptable and you have to continue to learn and progress. If you're selling exactly the same way you did four years ago, then yeah, no shit, it's harder. You, you haven't adapted, you know, you haven't changed. And so if you've been in the game two, three, four, five years, you need to look at yourself and ask yourself, have I improved? What, what have I done to improve and get better? And what, uh, what changes have I made the last two, three, four years to adapt to the changes in the market, right? If I come to, you know, it, it's different, right? 2013 in Long Island, there was no other solar companies, not one company yet, yet no one had heard of solar. So the objection was, is this even legit? You know, free, this sounds too good to be true. Is this legit? I got a call. Is this legit? And then, you know, now in San Diego, it's like, okay, everyone's heard of solar. Every single person I've talked to has been pitched solar by another, another company. And so you have to adapt. It's not any easier. It's not any harder. It's the same, but you have to be adaptable. You have to grow. You have to progress. You have to change. Um, and it's just fine tuning your process every day, every week, every month, um, and getting better and better. Well, Mike, we're up against our limit, dude. You got to go close that deal. You're in your nice polo, your hair's combed, you're unkempt in the face. But other than that, you've got about a 40% chance of closing this cab. No chance I close <laughs> it with this cab, nice man. Plus, plus, you've been sitting in their driveway for 58 minutes. So good luck. I know no one, can, no one can see Mike, but he looks like a he looks like a hockey player on a long, deep playoff run right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly he right. Plays. He just, he's like, I'm not shaving this thing. He didn't shave throughout the whole goat and he just kept it going. So the, the truth is I used all my mental discipline for the year in the goat competition. <laughs> like I, I haven't worked out in three weeks. I haven't shaved. I wake up at 8 a.m. now, you know, <laughs> just roll out of bed and like eat a Twinkie. It's, it's bad guys. It's and bad, but it was worth it. Outside. Yeah, worth it was it. worth it with the goat. Hey, man. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us, dude. You're one of my favorite guys, and I, I'm, I'm so proud of, of your success. I think it's well-deserved, so thank you for taking the time and sharing with us. Hey, love working with you guys. Thanks. You too, brother. See ya. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric. Electric.